The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Pretty much since uh, February, we've been kind of walking through the book of Acts. We took a little break for Easter and Palm Sunday, but we've been walking through the book of Acts. It's been an encouragement. We started off talking about the fact that we are fellowship and what that looks like and what uh, being, being the church really means that it's not a, a service that we attend or being entertained. It's about getting out and doing what Christ called us to do. And today we're in Acts chapter 5. So I want you to think about some lessons that you've learned along the way. Some of you are a little older this morning and you've, uh, you've learned a lot of lessons. Some of you are younger and maybe you've learned a lot of lessons the hard way. But we learn lessons in different ways, right? We learn in different ways. One of the ways that we learn is when someone teaches us something, right? Someone intentionally starts to educate you on some subject. For those of you who are parents right now, you've learned that you've had, to be, you've had become teachers right now, right? You're having to teach your kids at home, and uh, some of you are finding that to be pretty difficult, right? Especially with the technology stuff. But you're having to teach your kids uh, how, how to do math, how to... How to read, how to write, and all those important things. You can also learn from experience. You can learn from experience this week. Uh, we were supposed to go to Disney World this week as a family, and because of all this, it had to be canceled, but I still took the week of vacation and uh, to get a bunch of stuff done around the house. And so one of the things I had on my list to do this week was pressure wash the house. And so I borrowed my brother's pressure washer and uh, was going to pressure wash the house. I hooked it up. And uh, it wouldn't work, of course. And so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I disconnect the water hose, and all of this garbage just comes out of the water hose. It was a water hose I hadn't used in a while, and something apparently like nested in the water hose, which is gross, and I didn't know that was possible. But all this like stuff came out, and I learned the hard way that you should check the water hose before you hook it in because it completely ruined his pressure washer, and I'm going to have to buy him a new one. And so sometimes you learn things the hard way, right? You, you, you learn from experience. And then sometimes it's much more enjoyable. You can learn from someone else's negative experience, right? You can learn from someone else's experience in their life. I know now to never go to a nail salon in the midst of all this craziness like Becky Ames. She taught me that, not to go to a nail salon in the midst of a pandemic because everyone will hate you. So this morning, we're going to learn something from a couple of people, and it was a negative experience for them but we're going to learn how not to do something, okay? So Acts chapter 5, verse 1, we're learning from a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? 
wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you plan this thing in your heart? You've not lied to the people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet, and when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. All right, so basically what's happened here is Ananias and his wife get together, and they have this land, and they want to sell it, and they're going to hold back some of the proceeds but they're going to tell everybody else, hey, we sold our property and here's all the money for the property. We're awesome Christians. We've given sacrificially. Here's our money. And Peter immediately knows what's going on. And he says, no, 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 that's not what happened. We know that you're, you're trying to cheat God. You can't lie to God. God knows what, what you've done. You can't lie to him and you can't uh, lie to us either. And so immediately Ananias drops dead. His wife goes in and Peter asks her, hey, is this how much you sold it for? She lies as well. And immediately she drops dead. And so we're going to have this morning, we're going to have three lessons that we're going to learn from Ananias and Sapphira. Number one, the first lesson we're going to learn is doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is still sin. Doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is still sin. Here's uh, the tricky part of this. Giving is biblical, right? Giving is a biblical thing. It's something that God has called us to do. And not just giving, but giving sacrificially. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their land and gave, right? If we saw that today, we wouldn't think anything negative about that. We would think, man, that's awesome. Those guys sold something of theirs, and they gave a proceed of it to the church, to God. Nothing wrong with that, right? The problem is that Ananias' motives were not pure. We know this because right before that, in chapter 4, verse 36, we learn about a guy named Barnabas, who did the same thing. Thus Joseph, who, also, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we have this genuine act by Barnabas. Barnabas had a heart for the church. He was excited about what was happening in the church. He was seeing life change happen, and he wanted to see more life change happen. And so he goes and he sells his field so that they could continue to minister to the people because he loved God and he loved other people. That was his motives. His motives were pure in that. And so he sold his land and he gave all the proceeds to the church. He brings it to the apostles. And then right after that, Ananias and Sapphira see all the gratitude and the glory that, that Barnabas is getting for this act, which Barnabas wasn't doing it for that, but they wanted that same affection from other people, right? They hungered for people's approval, and so they bring, they go sell their land, but they also have a love for money. They're not willing to give it all up, and so they bring it to the apostles, and rather than just saying, hey, look, we sold our land, and we kept a little bit of it, but here's how much we're donating, they try to make it seem like they had sold their land in order to give all the money to the apostles. Their motives were impure. 
Jesus talked about doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. In Matthew 6, 1, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Simply doing the right thing is not pleasing to God. Because he's interested in your motive. God is interested in your motive. He wants to know that, yes, you're doing what he's called you to do, but he also wants to know that you're doing it for the right reasons. And the right motive for giving to the church is not so everybody looks to you and says, wow, man, they really give a lot. They must really love God. The right motive for giving to the church is because you love God and you love other people and you want to see the mission of reaching people for Christ to be expounded upon, and you're wanting to give to that so that you can serve other people and love other people. That has to be the motive, or it's wrong. What drives you to act is every bit as important as the act itself. What drives you to act is every bit as important as the act act itself. You can come to church for the wrong reasons. You can teach a Bible study for the wrong reasons. You can help a friend for the wrong reasons. You can lift up your voice in song for the wrong reasons. We can do all the checkbox stuff that the Bible says we're supposed to do with the wrong heart. And if we do it that way with the wrong heart, even though we're doing the right thing, it's still sin. It's still sin. It's incredibly important that we have our motives pure. Ananias' actions may have been right, but his heart loved money and fame more than it loved God. And that is sin. Number two, second lesson we can learn. Sin is a product of the heart. Sin is a product of the heart. Listen, we've been reading along through Acts, and it's been like all like awesome stuff right so far. We're see, we see where they're like giving of themselves, sacrificing their money, and, and, and doing uh, the right thing, doing what they're supposed to do. And then, and then Peter and John, are, are, they heal this lame man, and they get in trouble for it. They get thrown in prison, and then the the people who are imprisoning them are like, wait, we, we don't have anything to say. They obviously healed this guy. What can we do to fight this? There's nothing they can do, so they release them. And it's like all this really awesome stuff. And then, bam, here in Acts 5, we have this sinful act. This incredibly sinful act. And, and God takes it very seriously. It's almost a picture of what we see in Genesis 1, right, where God creates this beautiful creation. God creates this beautiful creation, and just a couple of chapters later in Genesis 3, sin enters the picture and ruins it. Here in Acts 5, sin enters the picture. Ananias and Sapphira looked no different than Barnabas from the outside. If they came to our church right now and sold a piece of land and gave, we wouldn't know the difference, right? We would think, wow, these people must really love God, and they must have it all together. They must be super saints. We would think that they're highly spiritual people. 
But here's the reality. God is not fooled by our insincere actions. God is not fooled by our insincere actions. He can see straight into our hearts. And this is why it's so important to guard your heart. Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Solomon, who, who is arguably the wisest person that's ever lived, right? God gives him all this wisdom. And he writes Proverbs. And, and many people still, even people who aren't believers, take things from Proverbs because there's so much wisdom in that book. And Solomon writes and he says, above all else, I'm writing about wealth. I'm writing about how to raise your kids. I'm write, writing about how to, how to be a good husband. I'm writing about all these important things. But above all else, guard your heart. Because it's the source of life. It's, it's the source of who you are as a person. It's incredibly important for us to guard our hearts. James 1, James writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, he says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has fully grown, it gives birth to to death. We can look at Ananias and Sapphira's experience and we can see that their hearts were filled with the desire for money and approval. That's what they wanted deep down in their heart. They had this sinful desire inside of them for money and approval and that led to the sinful action of lying to God which led to the punishment of death. That's how sin takes root. It starts in your heart. We have to recognize that we have sinful desires inside of us that wage war against us. So what's the answer? If sin starts in the heart, how do we fight it, right? It's, it's one thing to, to try to fix our behavior, right? If I'm, if I'm getting fat and I want to get skinny and work out, I can fix that, right? I can change my behavior and I'll start to lose weight and, and build muscle. But spiritual things are so much different than that. You can't just start checking a box and think that you're going to fix it because sin starts, it, it starts and takes root in the heart and our evil desires. So how do we fight it? Well, first of all, legalism is not the answer, right? Because checking boxes is not going to fix it, right? You can't say, all right, I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to do these things because those in and of itself are just changing behavior. They're not going to fix the problem. Passivism, it doesn't work either. You can't just ignore it and hope that it goes away. So what do we do? First of all, we can abstain. 1 Peter 2, 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from evil desires that wage war against the soul. So I know a lot of us have been off during this, this time or we're working from home. And I've been following people on Facebook and I, and. People, a lot of people who are working from home, not everybody, but a lot of people who are working from home, they started off really well, right? You started off, you woke up at a normal time, you did your hair, you put makeup on, the whole deal. You sat in front of your desk, and you're going to have a day's worth of work. And now that like three weeks have passed, like you're in your pajamas all day long, right? You've gotten really comfortable with working from home and, and, and just kind of hang out in those pajamas all day long. Peter's warning us not to get too comfortable with the world here. In, in 1 Peter 2, he's saying, look, don't get too comfortable with the world because you are strangers and exiles. This is not your home. This is not who we are. The world that we live in, when we see things of the world on, on social media and, and, and TV, that is not who we are. We should not aspire to be that. That's not who we are. We are 
exiles and strangers of this world, and as that, we should abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. So abstain. That's the first one. Just stop it. You have the power to stop living in sin. Stop. You're a child of the king. Your, your own sinful desires are waging war against your soul. You have the ability to fight back because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. You do not have to be marked with sin because you're a child of the king. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You can overcome that sin. Number two, make no provision. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If your own evil desires are waging war against your soul, don't make provision for them to win. We use an illustration in student ministry a lot that, that you have these two dogs in your backyard, right? One of them is your sinful desires, and one of them is, your, is, is the Holy Spirit. And you have the ability to feed the dogs, right? You can feed the Holy Spirit and starve the, worldly, the, the earthly desires, and the Holy Spirit will get stronger in your life. Or you can do the opposite and feed the worldly desires, and that dog's going to continue to be strong and have victory in your life. So if you struggle with lust, stop exposing yourself to lewd images. You might need to get rid of the smartphone, right? It's, I know it's 2020, and we think that we need a smartphone, but you will survive with a regular phone if that's something you struggle with. Or get the computer out of a place where, where you can hide. You struggle with vanity? Maybe you need to get off social media for a while and stop posting all the selfies. You struggle with coveting? Stop with the online, online shopping and, and, and comparing. Right? If we have these evil desires, and we, you know what your evil desires are, you know the things in your life that are pulling you from Christ, stop giving provision for the flesh. Right? Stop giving yourself opportunities to sin. Your sinful desires are waging war against your soul. Recognize that and don't give it opportunity to continue to do that. Start taking things out of your life and fight back. You'll never be able to abstain from fleshly lusts if you don't stop making provision for it. If you feed the dog, the dog lives. If you starve the dog, the dog dies. So refuse to furnish your mind the things that excite your desires. You know there are things inside of you that, that, that are waging war against you. Stop feeding those things. And the third and final lesson is this. Or I'm sorry, number three on our second lesson. Fix Jesus. I've got a friend who uh, really struggled with drugs for years. And like hard drugs, like heroin and meth fought it for years and, and, and struggled. And kind of as a last-ditch last effort, he went to church. And he, he had these obvious sinful desires that were pulling him away from God towards drugs. But he, get, he, goes, to cry, he goes to his pastor, and, and, he's, and he's like, I want, to, I want to be done with this. I want, I want to be free from this stuff. And the guy says, well, give me one year of complete focus on Jesus. Come to everything. Fill yourself with Jesus constantly. So he did that, and within the year, he was, he was completely off drugs, and to this day, completely victorious, and, and one, of, one of the really most awesome dudes I've, I've ever met. 
He was victorious over his, over his addiction. Why? Because he fixated on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us this in verse 18. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul's trying to say this. Look, if you fix your eyes on the person of Jesus, right, you look in the mirror at Christ and you focus on him, then as you live your life, you start to look more and more and more like Jesus from glory to glory to glory, from one phase of, of, of uh, sanctification to the next, right? That's, that's what happens when we fixate ourselves on Jesus because whatever we worship, we become, Right? If you worship money, if your focus is money, then your relationships and who you are is going to be as shallow as money. If you worship other people's opinions, then, then you're, who you become as a person will be so flighty and, and based on what other people think of you. But if you worship Jesus, you'll look more and more and more and more like Jesus. If you fixate yourself on Christ, you'll look more and more and more like him. You want to be able to have victory over the sinful desires in your heart and not just fix the behavior, but fix your heart. Fixate yourself on Jesus and worship him constantly, all day, every day. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time worshiping in your car. Spend time fixated on Jesus. Right? And all of this time that we've been spent at home, stuck at home, how much time have we spent fixated on Jesus? Right, we've binge watched every show on Netflix. We've binge watched every show on Amazon. But how much time have we spent fixated on Christ and spent in worshiping of worshiping Him? Right, if we spend our time fixated on the things of this world, then of course we become the things of this world. But if we spend our time fixated on Jesus and in worship, we become more and more and more like Him, from glory to glory to glory. If you want to have victory over your sinful desires that are waging war against you, one, realize you have the power to stop it because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and gives you power. Two, make no provision for it. Stop giving your sinful desires the power to have victory over you. And number three, fixate on Jesus. Whoever you worship, you become. Fixate on Jesus. Go all in on Jesus. Make him the object of your affections, the object of your worship, and you'll start to look more and more like him. The third lesson that we learned this morning is this. Sin is deadly serious. Sin is deadly serious. Listen, if we're honest, many of us find God's actions here a little bit offensive, right? We're thinking that's not that big of a deal. They sold their land. They, they, they told a little lie about it, and God dropped them dead right there on the spot. And our first thought is, man, that seems a little harsh that God would do that, right? If we're honest, we would think, man, that's kind of hardcore. That's a little bit, that's a little bit like, difficult for me to understand why God, would, why, why God would do that. But that merely reveals our ignorance of our sin and God's holiness. Instead of asking, why did they die? We should be asking, why do we live? R.C. Sproul said this, God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, not to become bolder in our sin. We've got four kids at home, and so discipline is like, got to be strict constantly. And so if I continued as a father to threaten punishment. If you do that, I'm going to spank your hiney, right? If I continue to threaten, but
but I never do anything about it. There's no justice in that. We know from Scripture, we can see God's character. We know that God is just. And we know sin will be punished. We need to take away the realization that God is incredibly serious about our sin. We can see that on the cross, right? We, we just had an entire week where we focused on the, on, the, on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you can see the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on the cross for us. Sin will be punished. The problem is this. All sin is ultimately a rejection of who God is. All the sin that you commit in your life is ultimately a rejection of who God is. It's you not trusting that his way is better. It's you not trusting that he is who he says he is and thinking, I know better on how to do this in my life, so I'm going to do it my way and reject God's way, and that's ultimately rejection of who he is and his character. And God takes that very seriously. We often trivialize sin. Right? We look at our sin and, and we think it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little lie. When we were in grade school, we thought cheating is not that big of a deal, right? It's not that big of a deal if I copy somebody's homework. It's not that big of a deal if I, uh, if I tell a little lie. We, we, we th- say things like kids will be kids. Or I, I did the same thing when I was a, a kid. And we trivialize sin. Make it sound like it's not that big of a deal, right? A little lie is not that big of a deal. A little cheating is not that big of a deal. Where have we heard that before, though? In Genesis 3, we hear Satan say, hey, it's just fruit. God knows if you eat it, you'll be like him. It's not that big of a deal. When we see sin, how God sees it, we will not trivialize it. When we understand that sin brings death, the wages of sin is death, not, not just the bad stuff, right? It's not just the killing, the stealing, and the murdering, and, and, and the adultery that, that, that gets punished by death. All sin brings death. The wages of all sin is death. And it separates us from a holy God. When we see sin, has, how God sees it, we will not trivialize it, but we will, re, we will mourn it. We will hate it. We will despise it in our own life. And as new creations, people who say that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, we should hate the sin that we commit. We should mourn it. We should weep over it. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Here's what Paul's trying to say is that as you sin... If God's spirit lives inside of you, you're going to hate that sin. And it's going to lead you to repent of that and not want anything to do with it. Right? When we recognize the reality of what sin is and what it does and the fact that every little lie that you tell, every little cheat that you cheat, every little thing that you do that goes against God's word is the same stuff that nailed Jesus to the cross. When we recognize that and we realize that, we will mourn it and not trivialize it. Right? When you look at what Ananias and Sapphira did and you think... It's not that big of a deal. Why would God kill them? 
then it only reveals our ignorance about what sin is and what it does. God takes it serious because it nailed his son to the cross. And we should take it serious too. We shouldn't trivialize the sin in our life and think it's not that big of a deal. We should mourn it. And we should repent of it. And we should run from it and allow the Holy Spirit to change us. Ananias and Sapphira teach us that God is highly concerned with our heart. That motive matters. That's why we need to deal with the sin in our hearts and not just the behavior. Why? Because God takes sin very seriously. We need to deal with our sinful desires because God takes sin very seriously. Maybe this morning you need to stop going through the motions, doing deeds that resemble a Christ follower with motives that are far from Christ-like. Maybe you need to accept your, your heart is full of sinful desire and you need to wage war against them. Maybe you need to get rid of the smartphone. Maybe you need to walk away from social media for a while. Maybe you need to end relationships in your life that pull you away from Christ and you need to fixate on Jesus. Maybe you need to recognize the gravity of your sin and come to terms with it and lay it before Christ and stop downplaying sin and mourn it. I'm not sure where you're at this morning. I'm not sure where God's led you to be up until this point. But my prayer is that God is speaking to your heart like he spoke to my heart this week and, and helps you understand that sin is serious and we need to deal with it. And the way that we deal with that is that we don't just change the behavior, we change our hearts. And only God can change our heart, but we can do things like focus ourselves on Jesus and not give sin the stronghold in our life. Whatever God is leading you to do this morning, I want to challenge you to right there in your car, in your seat, to have a moment of prayer. As I pray here in just a second, have a moment of prayer between you and God where you ask him to change your heart and repent of the sin in your life and no longer trivialize it but mourn it. God, we thank you for this beautiful day where we can gather united under the banner of your gospel. We can gather together with this common purpose of wanting to see other people come to know you. And God, I pray that this morning that your spirit will move in our hearts and convict us and change us and help us see the sin in our life. God, reveal to us where we have failed you. And God, I pray that as we become aware of that sin in our life, that we won't trivialize that sin, but that we'll mourn it. And we won't try to just change our behavior, but we will recognize that sin is birthed in our hearts with our sinful desires, and we will try to fight the root of that by focusing our worship on you. It will fill ourselves with you and the things of you, like your word, spending time in prayer, hearing your word preached, listening to worship music. God, we pray that we would fill ourselves with you and not the things of this world so that we will become to look more and more like you, that you would take us from one glory to the next glory to the next glory, and that you would sanctify us and make us a holy people so that when people look at us in this world, they'll realize that there's something different about who we are, and they'll want to know, uh, want to know you because of how we live. God, we thank you for the fact that your spirit 
moves and changes us and molds us into the people that you would have us be. God, we thank you for the sacrifice of the cross so that that makes a way that we can be reconciled back to you. So God, I pray this morning as we become aware of the sin in our lives that we would repent of that sin and we would ask your spirit to continue to change and mold us and shape us into the people that you would have us be. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.